This audio session is taken from the Shofar Bible School first year course. You can register for the full Bible School course by visiting our Shofar online store at www.shofaronlinestore.org. The topic for this session is Baptism of Believers. It is part of Module 11, Baptism. So now we're looking at the power of baptism. And this is what we're exploring through this, this whole series of just baptism. And uh, we link baptism closely to our identity. And you and I express something that has happened on the inside to that which we do in uh, baptism. It's, a, it's an, an outward action of something that has already happened in the inside. So I want to explore this question on... When am I ready to get baptized? Okay, so that is the, the natural outflow of uh, just getting saved and then being baptized. So what is, what is the, um, the place and when, who is supposed to get baptized? And I know most of you know the answer to that. But, you know, you and I share our life of faith together. And what, what is that faith? That faith is not in yourself that faith is in Jesus Christ and what He has done. What He has done on that cross for you and for me. And that is the place where, where we put all of our trust. It, it's in what Jesus has done. That atonement and like we said in the previous um, session, that, that place where, where we were substituted. You know, We were substituted and Jesus was the one that took our sins and our punishment on Him. And we got substituted and we are the ones that are receiving his righteousness. So when we, we speak about infant baptism, then, you know, this question of when is irrelevant. And the, the, the worldview and the framework that we process our scriptures through, this question doesn't, you know, fit into that discussion because a baby cannot decide. So uh, the parents come and they decide that we want to dedicate our our little child to the Lord, and then we baptize him. Okay, so closely connected again towards the covenant theology um, and God's covenant with us as his, as his people, and then God coming to us, and that's his doing, and he's um, saving us. Okay, so we have got the credo a baptism outlook, and that is why we need to answer this question of just when is a good time to get baptized because now that brings a lot of other questions to the fore. Now, I want to read you a scripture here um, as we, we link baptism to discipleship, like we're doing. You know, this, this is obviously why we are speaking about this. Let's look at this, this passage here in, in Acts 2. Now, when they heard this, that they were, they were cut to the heart. Okay, Peter was just, he was preaching to them. And they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received these word, words were baptized. And they were added 
that day about 3,000 souls. That is now to the church. Now, when you read a scripture like this, you know, it's, it's good to understand the Greek words for certain specific types of, of words that are given. Because we read and we see Paul is say, Peter is saying, you know, repent and be baptized. But in the Greek, that form of the word is an imperative. It's something that is, it's a command. So in our English, you know, terminology or, you know, we can say that there should be an exclamation mark at the end of that sentence. So the question is, what shall we do to be saved? And then Peter says, repent and be baptized, exclamation mark. So it's an imperative that he gives. So it's, a, it's something that is actually a command that is given. And most of us, you know, coming to a place of following Jesus, if we've got all our cognitive ability and we can understand what we are doing, somewhere you and I will get to a place where the revelation of God and His Word and His truth comes over us and you and I experience what those first disciples experienced. They were cut to the heart. You know that you are sinful. You know that you're not going to make it. And then you say, God, please save me. Okay, they just ask the question, what shall we do? And he said, repent. So you repent, you and I repent of our sins. But then Peter's command comes, he says, repent and be baptized. Now, again, just a disclaimer here. Baptism doesn't save you. And we'll, we'll deal with another scripture now that's a little bit difficult sometimes because of the closeness that we link with getting saved and being baptized that we find over scripture, and especially in the New Testament. But baptism doesn't save you. And the same argument goes for being baptized and saved. So there, there's a, you know, I know um, that there's people that write that for you to be properly saved, there's certain things that needs to happen, which baptism, are one, it's one of those things. So I understand being, you know, properly saved, you know, to experience the fullness of God, to be in that right standing with God, you know, ultimately if you, you can do all of those things. But, you know, if you have not been baptized, doesn't mean that you are going to be condemned. So what, what happens many times is you find people come to you that has got a really high view of baptism and then, you know, being immersed in water because that is from this command, repent and be baptized. And then they, they quote um, scriptures like uh, in, in, in Mark 16, verse 16. You know, there's a scripture that we find, it says, um, it says, believe of those who believed and are baptized will be saved. So then they come and they say, see, you must believe and you must be baptized, then you will be saved. But then just the next verse, or the next, it's the same verse, the next sentence in that verse says, but those who don't believe will be condemned. So it doesn't say those who don't believe and those who are not baptized will be condemned. You know, and just, I know this is a, you know, a facetious thing that, that, that I say, but it brings the point across. If you go down the N1, you're driving with your car and all of a sudden there's this massive just crash that happens in front of you and you are the first one on the scene and there's this guy lying and you see that, you know, okay, I'm not going to get too gross, but you see this guy's not going to make it. But you are a Christian and you've got eternity just in your mind and, and you want to minister to him. Just do you know Jesus? You know, your time is short. Make your, make yourself, get yourself in right standing with Jesus. But then 
if you take the view of not being baptized, then you look around and you see no water here and you're like, ah, sorry, dude, you're going to hell because there's no water here. You know, that's nonsense. All of us know that when you minister to somebody and they say, do you know Jesus? And say, no, I don't. Scripture says those who believe, they will be saved. So it's not about the baptism that saves you. But because it's so closely linked of something that happens on the inside, the expression, like we said in the first session, the expression of that is baptism. So the other question that, that I usually get speaking about this topic, um, and especially when people start to understand a little bit more of what happens, then they come to me and they say, Duval, I have been baptized, you know, immersed, but I haven't understood what I've done. Can I be baptized again? Well, then mostly they answer their own question. I say to them, did you understand what you did? You know, understanding that Jesus was the one that took everything for you and there was that, that swapping that took place. And because of that, because of him saving you, then you are getting baptized. If that was not the case and it was peer pressure or something that happened in your life and now you understand, but you know, I'm actually not saved then it's fine to get baptized again. But another guy come, came to me and I knew that he was saved and he got baptized, but he had such a wonderful experience through baptism and the things that the Lord has delivered him of just in that whole experience that he came and he said, I, I just want to get baptized again and baptized again. I mean, then that is becoming just a ritual that you're doing. You only need to do it once. It's one declaration that you make when that inner thing has happened in your heart. All right, so the emphasis is on, is on repentance. Um, and, you know, the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, as Jesus saying, go into, the all, into all the world, make disciples of all people, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so it is, again, an imperative. It's a command that Jesus gives in Matthew uh, 28. So in the Old Testament, going back there, you know, that's where baptism actually originates from. And that's where the understanding of the early disciples in the early church was a little bit different than ours. Because ritual washing was actually something that was done on a regular basis. Because you knew you coming to a holy God and then Jesus hasn't come yet. He hasn't died yet. But you need to prepare yourself to meet with him. You need to prepare yourself to meet with this holy God. And for you to do that, then you need to do this ritual washing. Okay, so it's just a prototype of baptism that the priests were doing before they could offer sacrifices for the people. And then from there, we get a lot of things um, where the, the richer folk, they had, you know, um, there's ritual washing baths in their houses. The poorer folk, they were coming to communal bath, baths, you know, so everybody came together to do the ritual washing. But again, it wasn't about the, the physical, you know, cleansing. It was something that I'm preparing my heart to go to meet with this holy God. And that is what, um, what this ritual was in the olden days. And that's where um, you and I come to when we do baptism. All right. So when um, Josephus, he's a, he's a, a writer in, 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 the old, in the olden days. He writes the following. He's a Jewish histori historian. And he says, 
about the ministry of John because John's name was John the Baptist, the one that baptized Jesus. You know, so there was this, this element where people understood coming to the Jordan to John the baptizer to be baptized, that they are, you know, preparing themselves. And that's what the Old Testament said about John the Baptist. There's a one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Because there's a preparation that happens so that people can receive. Now, Josephus writes and he says, Now, some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God, and that, and that very justly, as a punishment of what he did against John, that was called the Baptist. For Herod slew him, who was a good man, and commanded the Jews to, exos- to exercise virtue, both as a righteousness toward one another and piety towards God, and so to come to baptism, for that the, water with, the washing with water would be acceptable to him, if they made use of it, not in order to putting away you know, the remission of sins only, but for the purification of the body, supposing still that the soul was thoroughly purified beforehand by righteousness." Okay, so even in the Old Testament thinking, they knew that righteousness came from the inside. But this ritual washing was something that's done that is a symbolic act for you and I to express that thing that happened in, on the inside. All right, so another Bible passage that, that I'm reading to you guys comes from Luke 3, chapter, eight, uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 8 to 16. And now we find Luke writing, he says, bear fruit in that is keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to from these stones raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whosoever has two tunics is to share it with him who has none. And whoever has food to do likewise. Tax collectors also came and and to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. And soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from any by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ or not, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. And the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Take 10 minutes to reflect on and discuss this session's key Bible passage together with others in your class. If you are watching on your own, take a few minutes to reflect on the key Bible passage by yourself. I'm not going to labor the point anymore, but in the Gospels we see through John the Baptist's story and what Jesus does, that there is a, a definite link between repentance and baptism. So to answer our question is when, well, when you repent, then you are baptized. When you become a disciple, then you are baptized. And that is where the understanding of the worldview that we have from an infant's perspective, they cannot do that. They cannot follow Christ. They cannot be a disciple. It's disciples that are baptized. It's disciples that follow. So you and I, we know that our baptism is linked with, repent, re, with repentance. Now that the difficult scripture that I just said, you know, coming from the understanding, we find in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3, verse 18 to 22. Say, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the, righteousness, the, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, 
in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patiently, patience when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, having been subjugated to him. Okay, so that is the difficult part. Peter says, you know, according to this, that's how baptism saves you. And again, like I just explained, baptism doesn't save you. But because he's using this analogy of being saved, just like with Noah, there was a preparation of the ark. There was a preparation. And then, you know, even, even um, in Genesis, Noah was preaching to the people, come, come. God is going to do something. He's going to cleanse the earth. Come to be saved. The people didn't listen, apart from the eight that went into the ark. When the ark was closed up and the water came, then those eight people were saved through the water. There was a cleansing that happened. But the fact of the matter is that baptism wasn't the thing that, that Peter is referring to here. He says, you know, Christ was substituted, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's where he starts that scripture. And then from that point, that premises of knowing that Jesus has done that, he says, now through baptism, you are saved. And again, back to the infant baptism. That's where it's difficult sometimes because people think because they were baptized, but they had no say in that, no understanding that they are saved. They're part of God's family. And that's very dangerous to go into. So I want to conclude this session just with a couple of stories because I know there's, there's a lot of people that might listen to me and, and you know, your worldview might be contrary um, you know, when it comes to, to baptism, to what, what we believe. And, and I have found that out firsthand, you know, just in my family. You know, when I heard these words um, spoken and, and God convicted me and I, I wanted to get, to get baptized, I did that. But then I had this experience where I found my dad, you know, after I've been um, baptized. And I was so excited, you know, because that light switch was on for me and I was like, hallelujah. This is amazing. Jesus is awesome. And I really experienced his grace and his mercy through that. Um, and then I phoned my dad. And then I said, Dad, you know what I did? They said, yeah, what did you do? And I said, I got baptized. And I remember that day so vividly. Is He just went silent and then he, he asked me, what for? And all of this excitement just melted out of my body. You know, I was like, because I wanted to, to have him a part of this great thing that is happening in my life. And now all of a sudden, it's not that. And God took me through that process that I can understand a little bit better. Afterwards, you know, after a while and just, you know, grappling with this, God was gracious to me as well. Um, he gave me a word and he said that uh, um, he was going to reconcile and he did do that. But then I got to the realization, the reason that my father responded like that and the reason that some of you, when your children get baptized or when you get baptized, your, your, your parents respond is because of just this worldview thing. Because what do your parents do when they go and baptize you as an infant? They make promises to God that they are going to raise you up in the ways of the Lord. They are going to teach you his word. They're going to pray for you. And again, you know, we do the same. 
We just don't call it baptism. We just say that we are taking a little bit of oil and we consecrate babies or the parents come, they consecrate babies, um, a dedication service to the Lord. Same way, same promises, but it's not baptism. But anyway, back to their perspective. So now your parents come or you come and, you, um, and, and they, are there, they made their promises to God. Now you go and you get baptized. What actually happens is that their promises are actually fulfilled because they raise you up in the ways of the Lord and then you decide that you're going to follow Christ. And then you are, you are so cut to the heart. What must I do? And Peter says, you've repented now. Be baptized. And now you're baptized. But now back to the framework of your parents or even if, if you are parents. What my dad experienced was what he did wasn't good enough. Now I must go and I must do it all over again. And how is that for a lie from the pit of Satan? Just to bring separation. So whenever I speak to people, I say, listen, when you get to this point and you want to get baptized, if you're a child and, you, and, and your parents are over you, then make every effort to have them understand. Make every effort to honor them, but to have them at your baptism. And I've seen this many times. When they are there and they see what happens, it changes their hearts. You know, ultimately then, you know, when they say, no, I'm going to disown you if you do this, I don't know. Then, then you need to be, you know, obedient to scripture rather than, than to your parents when this comes to that place. But I doubt that it will ever will if we, just as children, in an honoring fashion, speak to our parents about this. And parents, if you are watching this, know this, that when they come to you, don't go down on them because of, you know, they are doing something that you've already done. Understand, like we have experienced just now, that the place that they are coming from is actually a very honorable and a wonderful place and celebrate it with them. Celebrate what they are doing. Celebrate the fact that they are following Christ and they want to proclaim it to the world because that is what is in their hearts and that's what they want to do in that place. So I want to encourage you to go and read scripture. Read about all of these instances where people were baptized in the New Testament. And let the Holy Spirit come and, and just break open His Word to you. And even in that place, if you need to have a little bit of a reworking around your framework, allow the Holy Spirit to do that. Don't be arrogant. And in the next session, I'll speak about something else where, where arrogance gets you nowhere. <laughs> but be humble, but be true to Scripture. And know that baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you, but baptism is an outflow of something that has happened on the inside that you are expressing, just expressing outwardly. And it brings you and I to that place of following Christ fully and having this wonderful privilege of having been part of his death, death symbolically and being able to rise again in life symbolically as we go through the waters of baptism. Take 15 minutes to reflect on and discuss the following points together with others in your class. If you are watching on your own, take a few minutes to reflect on the points by yourself. You can find the discussion points in your Bible School handbook. Look out for the Living the Word sections in each session.